0: Hello, welcome, you're listening to Feed Play Love, a bite-sized parenting podcast, a place you can find advice, understanding and support as you care for your small humans. I'm Siobhan Hunt neuroplasticity has become a bit of a buzzword and if you've heard it you'll be familiar with the idea of the way we can rewire our brains. But how does this concept relate to parenting and how we raise our children? Maggie Dent is a parenting educator, author and the host of the podcast. Parental as anything, and she's recently written about neuroplasticity and children. Hi, Maggie. How you going? I had trouble Siobhan? with that word the last time. Yeah, neuro. Yeah, yeah. No, it's a it's a biggie. Hey, it's a biggie. Well, let's do a, a yep. recap first. Let's not mm. assume that people know okay. how it works.
1: What is happening with neuroplasticity? What okay. does it mean? So essentially, um, when we're born, our babies are born. They're born with neurons, which is the brain cell, and then it, from that out goes an axon, which is a, like a little connector. At the end, a little dendritey things like tentacles and then they connect onto a new neuron when new learning occurs. And so our babies are born with none, which is a bit sad, but there's a really good reason why, you know, like a lamb can stand up. Well, our babies have just underdeveloped completely. That is so that the head of the baby is small because oh yeah, no woman wants a bigger head coming out that birth canal. Mm-mm. Okay. So everything happens after. So that means every new thing, every face they see, they're building these connectors. And there is an estimate that's about a million synapses, per second in the first few years of life. So this is exactly what's going on. And it's going on when, you know, let's give a really good example, when you're wanting your little one in the high chair to learn how to feed themselves. It doesn't go well, does it? <laughs> <Not> <laughs> for a while. You know, you've modelled it and you've encouraged them, you've held their hand. But until that neural pathway is strong, which is from repeated practice, it's, yes, a bit messy. <laughs> so can you see every now and then we just need to know that this is going on on so many levels. And when they get something, and it's a bit like I talk about how habits are actually neuroplasticity in action. So um, take one of the unpleasant things that children do quite developmentally normal, which is bite. Biting's a really normal behaviour. There's a whole list of reasons why. There's no little toddler that says, I want to start eating people (laughs) or or hurting people. There's no intention. But do you know what? Sometimes on the soft arm, it feels quite good on my teeth. Or I'm just needing to do a bit more movement in my mouth area. And all of these things we can't understand. If a child keeps doing that, then the neural pathway becomes stronger. So the more time that we, you know, the more we wire it, the more it fires up, the more it gets. So it becomes a habit we would prefer not. So our job every now and then as parents is to unhabit. I know that's not an English word, but (laughs) unhabit the bad habits (laughs) and rehabit with a new habit, which is why it can take ages And why over and over and over and over little ones, and you can do the same with as they get older. And then in adolescence, it's all over again. So if you keep thinking, we can completely change some of those behaviors by working with the brain in our mind as well. So it's it's fabulous.
0: Yeah. And I love the idea that because as a parent, you can feel like you've taught a lesson and think they're ignoring me. And let's just, even moving on from that, um, let's say manners, for example, please, thank you. And you think, oh my God, please, thank you. And you just think they're never going to do it. Mm. And what you're saying uh, is the more we repeat it, it's actually part of the process. We have to repeat it. Which is what we do anyway. So the manners one is
1: really interesting because actually the research is really, really strong that the best way to teach your children effective use of manners, not because I'm going to get hit if I don't, but effective use of manners is absolutely 98% is modelling. So are we doing it consistently. And secondly, that fires off the mirror neurons, which means we want to be mirroring what our grown-ups do, which is really important. But I do, there's two things that we know, is that your children can have a great understanding of manners and just choose not to use them around home. <laughs> no, seriously, I found that out. People would <laughs> ring me up and say, gee, your son's got lovely manners. look like, what? <laughs> never seen him, never heard him. Um, so isn't that an interesting thing again, is that when we're on their case all the time, we also make it like less... Um, enjoyable for them. So when it gets to be automatic, Mm. you know, and I think that's, we are overzealous sometimes in the way that we try to make sure because they're not using it in front of us, we assume, incorrectly, that they haven't got it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, And also the role in... Allowing our children to be independent. Oh, gosh, it's such a good one.
1: And I, I put my hand up, as in the article I wrote, that I failed um, terribly, parenting 101 with my fourth son. I just didn't get around to teaching her to tie shoelaces. <laughs> and his year one teacher was sweet as. It's just, she, his face still glows in his 31 when I mention her name, because she took him aside and she did the habiting for me. And she used a technique using bunny ears. Now, my son, like I said, is 31. He still uses bunny ears to tie shoelaces. Shoelaces. <laughs> yeah. So can you see every now and then, it takes time to build the neural pathways of dressing ourselves, feeding ourselves, toileting ourselves. And that the more stress we put into those situations, the less likely the brain will do the the connecting. Mm. So it's a, you know, and there are days that, you know, you'll be late. It takes so long, don't they, to do things. Mm-hmm. And that's that really big channel. I think it's the biggest challenge in the busy world we've created for our families, is can I have the time to put the energy into making those dendrites stick to a new neuron? That's really what it is. Because initially, they are biologically wired. If you watch a little toddler learning to walk, they do not see falling over as a failure because it's wired into them that this is is where we're at and we're going to do it over and over and over again. We don't see the same... Wonderful joy on our face when they dive into your best night cream and smear it on the dog and the wall. (laughs) And but the same thing is going on there that they are wiring some sensory development that is also really important. So you know that's why we keep worrying about the need to be tidy all the time when you've got little ones is you may be impeding their brain development at creating the neuroplasticity around um linking senses and um and shapes and and lids and oh, all of those I, things I am totally using that as an excuse
0: <laughs> next time you come around maggie this is all about yeah brain development it this is mess.
1: seriously all about brain <laughs> development and so when we keep doing them structured things and we keep sitting with them to make them do things our way we can possibly be limiting the uniqueness of each of our children.
0: So in terms of this practice, if I keep showing my children how to replace an empty toilet roll, will they eventually replace the toilet roll?
1: Well, I, I'll give you the statistical <laughs> response to that, and that is the female, yep really early. <laughs> Seriously? Men never? Well, because it's not really rated really high on the pragmatic list of things to remember. I know. I visited my boys when they were all at university. So they were aged sort of like 22, 20, 18. And they were renting a house um, and they were like a mini family. And I went into the loo. 32 empty rolls were on the floor. (laughs) And I decided, no, this is their place. This is not Roma's. You know, I I haven't failed. I have given the lesson. Yes. Do you know what motivates older children, (laughs) older boys? When a girl likes them. Oh. They get picked up really quick. So isn't it interesting what motivates us to take on certain learning opportunities? See, I thought they would be motivated if they ever get stuck on the loo without a roll of toilet paper. No. No. No, that wouldn't motivate them. It's a bit of a worry. Isn't it? <laughs> so one other really big message, and want I want all the parents to realise, is that if there are things that your child hasn't yet mastered or if there's things that you've realised your eight-year-old, your five-year-old is suddenly doing, that doesn't mean to say there's an end point. That means, oh, my gosh, we can change that. And it's the same with when we're talking about, you know, being positively attached to your children. If you've had some trauma early on that meant that didn't happen as well, it's fixable. So I love neuroplasticity in the sense that it can really give us an understanding of our role of creating environments and relationships that allow our children to grow new pathways if they haven't got them. It's so exciting.
0: And I do want to pick up what you mentioned there in terms of parents and that, you know, if it's about bonding, for example, but of course, neuroplasticity applies to parents as well. And often adults sort of see that as a way of either sort of stopping some things like anxiety or changing their perception of the world. But I wonder if it can be applied to that idea that we sometimes repeat the patterns of our parents before us. And a lot of people feel that that is too hard to change, that it's wired deep down in them and they can't change it. But if you apply neuroplasticity to that... totally. It just Tony. takes practice. Oh,
1: my God. No, it's even more than that. And, I'm, you know, having worked in a lot of therapy and I've, I've obviously been a counsellor for years, we know that we can change those because what happens is we tell ourselves a story from our childhood, from a child's perspective. And I told the story that my mum didn't love me. Um, and therefore, you know, how could I be a whole person if your own mother can't love you? I thought I was the only one in our family of six that felt that. Um, that, you know, basically years down the track, we all felt a little bit like that. So my mum did struggle with her maternalism. And when we did find out that she gave us absolutely everything she had to give because her journey, then what we know is we change the story. We actually change our behaviour quite intuitively. So it's not just sitting there going, okay, and I need to do this differently, it's it's we do need to do some work on the unconscious in our mind and that's why i think that's why we know when you hear a story of someone else it actually makes a shift in our mind if we're running a video of this then we need to work on creating a new video around that um, and so it is exciting because, you know, after a lot of therapy, I got to not only really love my mum for who she was and everything she gave to me, um, I got to be much safer around women, which is really a good thing. Otherwise, I wouldn't be here. I can't <laughs> imagine you not being wonderful around women, Maggie Dent. We all love you. Yeah, like I said, we all have our wounds.
0: <laughs> well, Maggie, thank you so much for coming in and speaking about this. My absolute pleasure. That's Maggie Dent. She's a parenting educator, author and host of The Parental Is Anything podcast we'll put links to maggie's podcast in the notes of this episode feed play love is a babyology podcast produced and presented by me siobhan hunt i'd love to hear from you so if you'd like to get in touch email me at feedplaylove at theparentbrand.com.au see you next time